Welcome, welcome. This is According to Callus. This is episode 208. And tonight, we're going to talk about fictional constitutional amendments. Why do I say fictional? Well, you see, I took some time off to read some pleasurable reading, some fiction, uh, some enjoyable reading. And as I read the book, I thought to myself, I must have read this before. I'm sure I've read this before. But for the life of me, I can't prove out if I've read it before or not. But it sounded so familiar when I was reading it. It was a great book. It's called A State of Disobedience by Tom Kratman. On my scale of 1 to 10 of take your time to read it, I'll put it at 8.5. Nah, we'll make it 8.8. It was really good. Pretty clean. It's It's got military jargon in there. So, I mean, if you're... Um, a little squeamish about an occasional uh, naughty word. Just keep in mind you're forewarned. Uh, I don't recall anything else in there of any objectionable material. Uh, just some descriptive um, ways that people die. Again, military fiction, it's going to happen. So the premise between a state of disobedience is the federal government becomes what it is now, only worse. And they decide to ratchet things up to an 11. And it just so happens that the fictional governor governor of Texas has her brother killed in defense of innocent people. And that sets off a series of events that leads to a borderline secession. I say borderline secession is because in the book, it's quite clear that the author doesn't believe secession is possible nor desirable, but something less than that is what uh, comes about. So one of the culminating points of the book is the way they seek to resolve some of the differences that have become so problematic is through a constitutional convention. Now in the past, well, let me let me pause here for just a second. This is why this is relevant. I, I was specifically asked last night by a friend of mine for my thoughts on a constitutional convention or a convention of states and my opinion on the matter. And I echoed something that I had said previously, but um, for the purposes of the discussion, I'm not going to go into it, but basically I said, if you really want to know, if you really want to understand what's involved with the Convention of States or Constitutional Convention, you really need to listen to Chris Ann Hall. She did a multi-part dissection of what's all involved with a Constitutional Convention or Convention of the States. Now, other people have gone over it as well, but just as a starting primer to best understand all that's involved with this, start with Chris Ann Hall. I'm sure you can find it on our website or on our podcast or on our app. It's there by far the most complete overarching view of everything that would be involved with a constitutional convention or convention of the states for those of you that prefer that. And she gives a well thought out explanation of what's involved without taking sides and without really saying good idea or bad idea, just lays it all out there and explains it all out. So that's 
where I'm coming at with that. So in this fictional book, a constitutional convention occurs. And some of the convention uh, amendments that are put forward and passed in the convention. Now, for those of you that don't know, currently, if a convention were called, the current constitution requires three-fourths approve of those amendments. Whether it stays like that or not is another story. We're not going to go there. But for the purposes of this discussion, three-fourths of the states would have to agree with the proposed changes. So these are the some of the changes, some of the highlighted changes. I'm not going to go through all of them. I just think that they're interesting. And I might throw one or two of my own for your consideration. As we are now five minutes into this, on we go. All right. In the appendix of the book State of Disobedience. Amendment. The 16th Amendment is hereby repealed. No direct taxes shall be levied upon living persons, real or artificial. Pretty clear, pretty straightforward, kind of interesting. All right. Amendment. The Social Security and Medicare tax is repealed. Current interest holders in the Social Security system shall have their money repaid within 10 years at an interest rate of 9%. Again, interesting. Not sure where they're going to get the money to do that, but I'm sure that there are other taxes that will still be coming in, much like the 16th Amendment repealing something that never needed to be there, and someone say has really never actually been legally ratified, but that's another story and a rabbit hole all unto itself. Amendment. No one shall be elected to any office of the federal government more than twice in succession, three times in life, or 12 years total. Now, this is one of the ones that's kind of interesting because I have mixed feelings about term limits. We've always had term limits, at least in theory. You just don't re-vote for the person. But the way the system's set up right now, the incumbents have an enormous advantage. So if you take away their advantage by making it irrelevant, in other words, they can't take government funds and return them to the state by eliminating all these excessive state or taxes put upon the states and the people, you kind of eliminate the power that those Congress people have. So, I mean, I, it's a nice workaround. I find it interesting and certainly was kind of fun. Um, the next amendment. Every four years, in conjunction with the election for the presidency of the United States, each ballot shall list all members of the United States Supreme Court, the justice of that court who name garners the great number of voters in that election shall be forever disbarred from a seat on the Supreme Court or any federal office, elective office, excuse me. So basically that gives people the opportunity to boot the bad um, members of the Supreme Court. I kind of like that. I, I got to say, I never really thought of that, but I kind of like that. And uh, I guess I'm going to do two more. I, I think there's more here, but these two are the other ones I think are interesting. Any time when a majority of the governors of the states shall vote in joint session 
to overturn any decision of the Supreme Court impacting upon the rights of the sovereign states under this Constitution, that decision shall be overturned. Thirty such governors shall constitute a quorum. I think that's pretty awesome. So, the reality is, you only got to get 16 governors to to punt a bad Supreme Court opinion. I mean, yeah, I like it. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming, but I like it. All right, last one. And listen to the whole thing before you start reacting. The Second Amendment is hereby repealed. The federal government shall ensure that no private individuals keep or possess nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons of mass destruction. All other forms of weapons may be owned, born, and possessed by the citizens of the United States without restriction or registration. Such weapons may not be taxed. My only quibble would be is it should be shall as opposed to may, but otherwise, quite interesting. A lot of clarification and actually puts to bed a lot of the complaints that, you know, anti-Second Amendment people throw at us all the time. So it's interesting that two of these directly deal with reigning in the Supreme Court. Uh, Two of them deal with the excessive amount of money that the government takes from us. And one of them deals directly with abuses on both sides of the issue on firearms. Most all the abuses actually on only one side, but just, I appreciate the clarification. So there are others in here and, and a lot of these are actually points covered indirectly within the, the book. I highly recommend you read it. It makes sense. And it was very enjoyable. And I'm going to read the last amendment here. Amendment, whereas responsibility and authority must be equal, and whereas it has been demonstrated that the abuse of authority is inevitable at some point for some responsibilities, so the United States government is relieved of the following responsibilities. To ensure the economic well-being of individuals of any class or any means or any period of time to regulate commerce except that no state shall be permitted to set up tariffs against any other state or states to conduct economic planning to ensure the rights or presumed rights of any group as a group to engage in social engineering or interfere with any aid of education at any level. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, but that's fantastic. I, I, you know what? I think I might have to crib this and, uh, take that down to Houston with me. I, I think that is, man, that's awesome. I'm going to thank uh, the author of the book for that idea. I'm going to crib that and take it down to Houston. <clears throat> so a couple other things that, uh, while we're on the topic, right? If we're, if we're going to imaginarily discuss or use our imagination, if you will, to discuss fixing that which is broken, which unfortunately is our constitution. It is broken because we don't make those rats actually follow the constitution because 
it is just a piece of paper unless it is enforced. And unfortunately, we don't enforce it. Unfortunately, we don't put in the effort to enforce it. And because of that, we're stuck in the situation that we're in right now. And I would suggest to you, it's probably only going to get worse. So how do we fix it? Well, you got to enforce it. We got to enforce it. How do you enforce it? Well, let's go for starters. There used to be the appointment of U.S. Senators two per state by the state legislature. But the progressives took that away. They ended that. I want to say it was 1913. If, I, if I'm off, please forgive me. But, but I think I'm pretty clear. Or I'm pretty, I'm pretty clear in my memory that it was 1913. Um, took place with the Federal Reserve Act and the income tax, if I remember correctly. So what happened there is... They took away the authority and the power and the check that the states had on the federal government. And they basically tricked the people to go along with this. Now, I'm not really sure how they managed to paint that so clearly that they fooled so many people, but they did. Now, I don't know that they had deemed it passed like they did with some other amendments. But the long and the short of it is that when you eliminate the state as a check on the federal government, you just allow for more abuse. You just allow for more problems. Not a fan. Not a fan of that at all. But that's where we're at. So... That would be one. Now I would go so far as to say we probably don't need the 13th or 14th Amendment anymore. I know that might be stepping out on a ledge there, right? But what real purpose do either one of those serve at this point? I mean, we talk about due process, but the reality is that the court's make up their idea of due process all the time. They manipulate that and bastardize it to suit their own needs and we're left hanging. There's very little to be gained by going to the Constitution when they don't even pay attention to it. When they ignore it because it's inconvenient. When they find workarounds all the time. But let's just take a moment here as I open my handy Constitution. And then that's the other thing. The 13th and 14th Amendment... The 13th is actually quite small, but the 14th is kind of long and drawn out here. But let's let's go with the 13th Amendment. Neither slavery or involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to its jurisdiction. Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So, the draft is in violation of 13th Amendment. Were you aware of that? Had anybody ever considered that? I mean, they didn't do away with the draft until after I was born. And even now, I think they still make you register for the draft. 
But if that isn't the definition of involuntary servitude, well, what is it then? I mean, do we really need a constitutional amendment ending slavery? And here's the other thing. All this talk about human trafficking, I want you to think about this for a second. What in fact is human trafficking? That's taking somebody and forcing them to do something that they don't want to do. Otherwise known as involuntary servitude or slavery. So right now, slavery happens and Congress has done nothing to appropriately deal with it. Now, I got to say that perhaps not a fan of the actions that uh, an individual took, but if somebody was enslaving my family, I think I might get a little violent about it. I'm thinking that Harper's Ferry perhaps is a illustration of what happens when you push people far enough. Oh, I'm sorry. You might want to go read about that or look it up. I'm not going to get into it. I'm just saying that if that were my family, I might have been a little upset. And I think that's how he dealt with it is he redefined it as his family. Now, the 14th Amendment talks about the naturalization, jurisdiction, and life, liberty, property. and But it also talks about Section 2, the Representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective members, counting when the whole number of persons of each state, excluding Indians that are not taxed, when the right to vote any, blah, 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 blah. But what's interesting here is they're supposed to be reapportioned based upon the whole number of people. When's the last time we've reapportioned Congress? When's the last time that Congress has grown? Interesting. You can't serve if you've engaged in insurrection or rebellion. Does that maybe bring into what's going on with January 6th? Right? We're going to accuse these people of taking part of an insurrection or a rebellion. And lo and behold, if you get two-thirds of the House, you can remove the member. Interesting. And, oh, well, here we go with the debt. <laughs> Basically, if you in, incurred, in, if you took on, oh, I'm sorry. The United States nor any state shall assume or pay for any debt or obligation incurred in the aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any claim for loss of emancipation of a slave, but all such debts and obligations and claims shall be held illegal and void. So basically, they came, took your stuff, put down your government, and then said, so sorry if you're bankrupt now. Huh. Okay. So, now I can totally understand where you free somebody and you say you had the opportunity to let them go free, but now we've removed them from you and we're going to go ahead and destroy you because now you don't get the money that you would have otherwise got for that because you should have never had them in the first place. Excuse me. Oh, where did that come from? <clears throat> I suspect that there was more going on there and there's clearly more going on now. 
we're supposed to just accept that the government can get away with doing these things by redefining issues. So if I declare you an insurrectionist, if I declare you to be working against the government, that gives me the ability to basically bankrupt you and not give you an opportunity to get your money back because, well, you're an insurrectionist and you're in rebellion. Interesting. I wonder if the British felt the same way or if the Empire of Mexico felt the same way when Texas broke free from them. So if you're not seeking to overthrow your government, but merely to separate yourself from a government, is that an insurrection? If you are seeking to separate yourself from somebody else's abuse of control, is that insurrection or is that secession? These are important legal terms. I wonder if there's a reason why we keep being called insurrectionists or secessionists. I am neither at the moment. But again, if you redefine the language, if you lay down enough accusations, if you create your own big lie, oh, there's that word again, the big lie, that phrase of death, ooh, you Nazi. Yes, but if you make that happen, if you articulate that and you push it through and you sell it to enough people that they believe it, you're accomplishing what you set out to do. That is to completely dehumanize, to ruin your opponent. Now, I've stated on more than one occasion, I believe there's plenty of good people out there that actually disagree with me on issues, and I'm more than willing to hear them out. And in fact, I want to understand where they're coming from. I think that it is only when you discuss the issues and you think about them that you can come to a solution. The problem is predominantly one side doesn't want to not only not discuss it. I think I used too many negatives there. The predominantly one side refuses to take part in the discussion. They also don't want for you to be able to articulate your side of the issue or bring up said discussion in the first place. Now, I know that is the action of a totalitarian regime. I know that is the action of a small-minded individual. I know that that is, quote, bad behavior. Yet, even those people that I agree with that occasionally uh, get something wrong, right? They, they, maybe they go too far. Maybe, they, maybe I want to quibble with them. I don't immediately dismiss them or disregard what they have to say. I want to hear them out. I do the same for those people that I would adamantly disagree with. I'm sure that you could give me a valid reason why you think X, Y, or Z. I would like to discuss it with you. I would like to dissuade you of your point of view. But I'm not going to immediately conclude that because you disagree with me that you're an evil person and you must be dealt with yeah but that's what we're dealing with right now and we've seen this before and the very same people that are doing this are the first to accuse the other side of being totalitarians nazis fascists communists whatever it's also called projection so when i'm talking about 
tonight <laughs> proposed constitutional amendments, fictionalized ways to fix our government. This is me reaching out to say, hey, guys, let's consider if we were to do these things, we might be able to salvage what we have. We might be able to find a way forward. I'm not sure. I want to think about that in reality. I, I, I'm not sure if that's a feasible solution in reality. It sure sounds good. It sure gives me hope. It sure makes me feel like all is not lost. But then the reality of the world that we live in sits in. Or sets into my head and I think about where we're at and what we're doing. And people are still making excuses about not having ships. People are still making excuses about lack of inventory. And blaming it on this or that. The reality is almost everything has been caused by bad overreaction. Government overreaction or in some cases inaction. And quite frankly, a large number of these giant corporate edifices, these investment banks or whatever, they have a vested interest in taking and ruining what makes our country viable. What makes Texas special? A lot of these people could care less about our R&D dynamic. They could care less about progressive, conservative, liberal, freedom lover. They don't care about any of that. It's all about control. It's all about exerting that control over us. The irony is, is this book that I read that was supposed to be escapist fiction, this book that was supposed to be just an enjoyable Distraction served to be an entree. I'm sorry, not an entree. That's not the word. A uh, an entrance, if you will, into what is going on right now. And I wish that the resolution that played out in this book could be nearly as peaceful. Is what we're going to have to deal with. I wish that the outcome would not be as bad as I think it's going to be. I haven't lost faith, but I have concerns. I have concerns about what we're going to have to endure, what we're going to have to deal with, what's all at risk before we get there. And the there might be next week, next month, a year, five years. I don't know. I no more, no more know the answer to that than when Christ is coming back. But I can, I can see where we're at. I can, I can see, sense the seasons, if you will. Something just doesn't sit right. And right now, I'm just contemplating. Do I want to take away from the light 
fun atmosphere I started at the beginning of this with and end on a somber tone. And I really don't. I, I want to be lighthearted. I want to have fun. I, I, I read the book anticipating positive. So here's the thing. My positive ending. There's going to be a cost. We have the option of paying the cost now. While it's still winnable. While we still have a really good opportunity of holding the line. We need to take advantage of it. We need to make the most of what we've been given. And if you're not willing to do that, I can't help you. I've talked about numerous episodes, just the simple easy things you can do out your back door. Nobody's asking you to sacrifice your life or your sacred honor or even a fortune. Not yet. But if you keep sleeping, if you keep refusing to act, if you keep refusing to acknowledge where we're at, That may be the only solution. That may be the only option. So help me, I don't want to have to experience that. And I sure as heck don't want my daughters to have to experience that. And you shouldn't want it either. Better this can be solved now while we're all capable of dealing with it than for it to be pushed, excuse me, pushed onto our posterity We would not be doing them any favors at all. Well, friends, (laughs) I guess that was a little more somber ending than I anticipated. But remember, the whole concept of the book was a fictional occurrence that came with a positive outcome. And I am still convinced that we can get a positive outcome. But we cannot do it with pusillanimous leaders. And with that, my friends, this was According to Callus. This was episode 208, and we were talking about fictionalized constitutional amendments courtesy of the book A State of Disorder by Tom Kreitman. I will see you on the other side.